take it into a bit of a category of something that's more familiar of my own background Um, we're going to be looking at um, a bit of the Talmud um, from Tractate Nazar so I'm going to explain more about the Talmud explain about uh, what the Tractate is what it comes from um i'm kind of giving egypt a bit of a break right now um and some of the ancient uh um kind of other ancient theories um just because i need some more time to study up on that stuff so I'm going with an easy study. For me, it's easy just because I'm more familiar with the background of it all. So um, I'm still learning in the process. But um, so for people who have been following, maybe um, let me see. Um, if you do follow the Jewish Parsha. For this week, the portion is uh, Mishpatim, Mishpatim, um, and so Mishpatim is the next portion, and um, basically it means ordinances um, and let me see so I guess like two weeks ago then um, that is where trying to see if it was two weeks sorry Um, I think two weeks ago we were in the Parsha of, wow, am I that far back? Okay, so the previous week was Yitro, which is Jethro, um, the father-in-law of Moses. Um, before that was Beishalach. And then Bo was before that. So um, we're the fourth week away from the, not week, like as in history, but the fourth week of readings away from um, the portion in Exodus, Exodus chapter 10, where, you know, um, the Israelites leave from slavery from Egypt after the plagues um, and were being pursued by the Egyptian military and Pharaoh. Um, 
So that's what's going on. That's what was going on about four weeks back. And now we're talking about the ordinances beginning in this week. So that's what's happening in the actual Parsha for people who are studying it live. Um, but when we look at the Talmud and we look at the Tractate of Nazar, um, the Talmud Tractate of Nazar is coming from the Book of Numbers. Um, so in Numbers, uh, the Book of Numbers in Hebrew, Hebrew is Bamidbar, um, Uh, is it? Yeah, Bamidbar. And so, the book of Numbers basically, you know, starts out with a census. Um, uh, during the book of Numbers, um, they're still in, the Israelites are still in Egypt. Sorry, they're still in the wilderness in Sinai. Sorry, I didn't mean to say Egypt. They're still in the wilderness in Sinai. Um, they're a little more established. They have commandments. They have laws. They have priests. They have um, basically a, a more organized version of a religion out in the middle of the desert, basically. And all of these things can move because it's all like based on like a I don't know if it's based on a nomadic culture, but, I mean, these things are like tents. They're not permanent dwellings. Um, none of none of the wilderness is permanent. A lot of it is just wandering and moving. Um, and it says, um, basically, for the book of Numbers, at the beginning of the book of Numbers, it talks about, the census that was taken on the first day of the second month in the second year um, after the Israelites had come out from the land of Egypt. So by this point, when they take the census at the beginning of um, the book of Numbers, they've been out of Israel, sorry, they've been out of Egypt for two years. Uh, so they've been wandering around for two years already by this point. And we are, like, Numbers is way into the Torah. Numbers is, like, deep in. Like, there aren't that many pages left until the Torah ends. Um, and, like, Moses dies in Deuteronomy chapter 30. A spoiler alert, I guess, but, um, sorry, in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, or, you know, in Hebrew it's called Devarim, um, Moses dies in chapter 34, um, uh, at the end. 34 is the last chapter of Deuteronomy, and Numbers has a total of 36 chapters. And so there's 36 chapters, then 34 chapters, um, before pretty much the spies set out and find 
the land where the Israelites are going to dwell. And so, basically I'm mentioning the book of Numbers because that is where the tractate of Nazar is taken from, from the Talmud. And so, uh, basically, that's where Numbers starts, right? Uh, the census... Um, um, so let me see, after that, um, basically the encampments were kind of, uh, put in a specific order of how the different groups of Israelites would live, like kind of where they would live, what that would look like, who is in what group and everything what companies, uh, very, like, organized, like, military-like, sounds like, the words they use, like, uh, companies, encampment, regiment, things like that are very, like, militant-sounding in my mind, um, uh, so they start talking about, then, these different lineages, right, so the lineages of Aaron, uh, so Aaron's, lineage like for people who might not know um uh you know Aaron and Moses are brothers and um mm, uh so basically the sons of Aaron are listed, and then basically um, the duties of the Levites are talked about, and then the census of the Levites, um, specifically the Levites. Um, there's a portion that's called the redemption of the firstborn. Then the Kohathites, um, and then it talks about the Gershonites and the Mirrorites. Um, Gershon means like stranger, uh, so that came up in a recent Parsha where um, the land. I think they named it, uh, I think someone was named Gershon because of, uh, or maybe a land was named Gershon because somebody was a stranger. I don't remember how that goes, but it's like, I just know the terminology meaning stranger. Uh, then there's another census of the Levites uh, in chapter 4 again I don't know why so in chapter 3 then again in chapter 4 there's another census of the Levites um, chapter 5 starts talking about uh, what unclean people are like um, like leprosy or skin diseases contacts with corpses, 
um, basically those types of people, you know, you can't just be like immediately in contact with them. Uh, chapter five also discusses, you know, confession and restitution. Um, uh, talking about when a person wrongs another person, uh, that's considered basically breaking faith with the Lord, uh, and that person incurs guilt and needs to confess the sin that's been committed, um, and making restitution for what's been done wrong. And then where it says, um, there's like more information about an unholy wife or, or sorry, unfaithful wife. Some like basically if a female cheats, uh, a married female cheats, then that's an issue. And then it gets into talking about the Nazarites. So the, the information about the Nazarites is taken from Numbers uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 21. So that passage is pretty much, you know, to come up on the Talmud, you'll usually need to know the passage of uh, the Nazarites um, in the book of Numbers. And so maybe I should have described this. I think I described it before, but the Talmud in general, um, you know, when we go back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments are given uh, at Mount Sinai to Moses to give it to the Israelites. Um, per tradition, um, it's taught that Moses, Moses received the oral Torah, which is the Mishnah, that Moses received the Mishnah at the same time that he received the Torah from God at Mount Sinai, and um, as well as the Ten Commandments, and went down, and the Ten Commandments were on the tablets. It doesn't really say what, I don't know if it really says about the Torah, I don't know if it talks about that, but um, per tradition, that's what's taught, is that um, this was, you know, given to Moses orally, um, the Talmud was given orally, uh, but it was the Mishnah, and then it was written down um, in books multiple multiple volumes called the Talmud so the Talmud isn't just one book it's like multiple books um, multiple volumes uh, it's almost like I mean the easiest equivalent I can think of is like encyclopedias like how I don't know when the last time was I saw an encyclopedia but encyclopedias are basically um, for people who've never seen one, basically it's a book that usually goes by a letter, like A, B, C, 
and you basically look up, you know, what you want to know. And so say if I want to look up Bobcats or something, I need the B letter encyclopedia. So way back in the day, if you didn't have a certain volume of encyclopedia, you didn't have any of the information with that letter. Um, but the Talmud, it's not necessarily like that, but it's like you have different volumes that talk about different topics, and it's based in the scripture of the Torah, but from the Torah, there's um, the fence around the Torah, that's the oral Torah. So it's like there can be laws like... Um, uh, like the fourth commandment, you know, an easy one for the Adventist folks, you know, uh, remembering the seventh day, keep it holy, um, labor six days, and the seventh do no work. Um, I'm paraphrasing. I haven't memorized like the back of my hand, but, you know, um, I'm not going to go into all the like manservant, maidservant, ox, oxen kind of thing of like who can and cannot be working but basically if you take that commandment which I believe is the longest commandment um because it expands that commandment expands like there's other commandments like you know don't commit adultery don't lie don't steal you know like you know, honor your father and your mother they're like a simple sentence and then you know the fourth commandment comes along uh in the in the Catholic Bible, the fourth commandment is not about the Sabbath. There is no Sabbath commandment. In the in Exodus 20, in the Catholic Bible, that commandment no longer exists in there. Basically, what happens is they split up two different commandments. But what I'm trying to say with the commandments is that, you know, the Mishnah expands on that commandment so there's a whole thing a whole explanation about every little possible scenario and discussion that can happen surrounding what's right and wrong and these things are written in volumes of books um, and it's not only the Ten Commandments and so <clears throat> when we come into the book of Numbers uh, if we're going kind of linearly thinking about um, the time period, you know, the Israelites have been out of Egypt for two years by this point, um, and they're they just, they're seeming pretty organized, and now there's some rules coming up about the Nazarites. So not only is this in Numbers chapter six verses one through twenty one. But there would have also been Mishnah, oral Torah, learning about this, which would have been more length than just the 21 verses in this book of Numbers. And then, you know, it's written down in the Talmud, and there's a whole book um, about Nazar, which are Nazarites. Um, so, 
we'll talk about what Nazarites are. We'll talk about what the Talmud starts to say about them. Um, I believe famous Nazarites in the Bible would be Samson. Samson was a Nazarite. Uh, that's why he had such long hair. Um, people say that Jesus was a Nazarite. I don't know about that. Somebody told me that he's not. Now, he was from Nazareth. Nazar he was a Nazarene. Nazarenes and Nazarites are not the same thing. Uh, a Nazarene is someone born in Nazareth or raised in Nazareth. Um, a Nazarite is someone who takes the oath to become a Nazareth. Um, in English, we say Nazarite. In Hebrew, they say Nazir. Um, Nazirus, there's Nazirus. If you're a woman, then you're Nazira. So there's Nazirus, N E Z I R U S, and there's Nazira, N E Z I R A H, or just Nazir. Um, and so we'll describe that in more detail. The basics would be can't cut your hair, uh, can't consume grape products, including fermented grapes, which is wine, and don't touch dead bodies. And so these things to me are what gets confusing if, we're, if we do think about Jesus. Um, Jesus, you know, was often raising people from the dead I don't know if it involved always touching them physically but he would lay his hands on people and you know touch their eyes touch their bodies touch all these types of like people that Jews were not supposed to touch and so that was already a problem with Jesus doing what he was doing um, and then going from that also, I don't know if it says anything about Jesus' hair um, in the Bible. And then um, when it comes to wine, I mean, his first miracle that's recorded in the Bible was at a, at a wedding where Jesus turns the water into wine. Um, so how he does that, I don't know. Um... But nonetheless, it happens. He turns the water into wine. Um, so I don't know if Jesus was a Nazarite. I've heard people say that. And I, one of my friends who is very well studied in the Bible explained to me that Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. He wasn't a Nazarite. Like you often hear you know, the religious leaders in the New Testament saying, you know, isn't this guy from Nazareth? You know, um, isn't this the guy from Nazareth? I think I was pronouncing it wrong. I was saying Nazareth. Yeah, um, that didn't feel right. 
but yeah, Nazareth, um, so yeah, uh, we're definitely gonna get more into this, um, but, uh, I believe the Talmud, the age of the Talmud, I could be wrong, I think they say it's like, from the second, the second and third century it was written, but the Mishnah would have existed all the way from the first uh, time that, you know, the Israelites were in Egypt when they came up upon Mount Sinai and near Exodus chapter 20 where Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments. Um, near that time, um, you know, Moses would have received the Mishnah as well. So, the people knew the Mishnah. Like, by the time we're talking about the Nazarites in chapter 6 of, of Numbers, um, they would have already known for almost two years about um, the Mishnah. Um, they would have already known what it says in the Talmud. I don't know if everyone would have known or if it's only the priests. Uh, the way I learned is that uh, the is that Moses talked to Aaron who talked to the Levites the priestly nation um and they were the ones that were kind of like the holders of this information um I don't know about the general Israelite public if they would have really known all of this or followed all of it or cared um I mean it seems to me they already have enough laws um there's so many laws like it's just like you know from the time you know, of the exodus, you know, most of exodus, Leviticus, numbers, there's just so many laws and rules and things that need to be done and not done and, um, stories too, but, um, there's a lot that is being requested of these people. Who are literally wandering around in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere for 40 years we're only two years in by the time we get to um numbers the book of numbers we're only two years in to their wandering and then by the end of deuteronomy that's 40 years uh moses dies at the end of deuteronomy so we've got two whole books basically until um, 40 years passes, so, uh, we're gonna get more in-depth into this, I hope that I organized that explanation good enough, um, the reason why I'm mentioning Egypt so much is because I've been, like, talking about Egypt a lot, and in the process of talking about Egypt, um, I've talked about Israelites, and I've talked about the book of Exodus, which is where the Parsha actually is now, and so it's just kind of an interesting line of things, 
Um, so this is two years past where the actual Parsha is kind of around where the Parsha is now. I think two years in the future from where the current Parsha is, um, this is kind of how the Israelites look at, at you know, the future from, from what the current Parsha is. Um, they're a lot more organized. Alright, so moving on to talk further about Nazarites. So just in general, with that um, majority of chapter 6 of the book of, of Numbers, um, pretty much the laws... I, hmm. I guess what I'm struggling to maybe understand is why a person would take on this oath. Um, basically, it says those separated, those consecrated, uh, that's what the Nazarites are. They're separated or consecrated um, by uh, basically... It says having their consecration to God upon the head um, while they're under this oath. So I already have a lot of questions like why would somebody do it? Like why would somebody take the oath to be a consecrated person or separated out as a Nazarite? Why would they take that oath and how long is the oath? Um... Because it sounds like there's an end period to it. It doesn't seem like it's permanent. I don't think. Um, so basically when it comes to the situation with the grapes. Um, it basically says not drinking wine and strong drink. Um, so wine and strong drink are two different things. Like, say for example, and I could be wrong on this because I still haven't fully studied all of what the explanations are here, but I would personally distinguish saying like wine would be something, you know, that's from fruit, um, you know, um, versus like beer that's from like barley or something like that right um hops um or tequila you know whiskey you know these don't come from grapes and there's other types of wine that's not grape wine but i feel like famously you know grapes are used and fermented so i think it means any kind of alcohol. That's what I'm taking from this. Um, wine or strong drink. Otherwise, it would have just said wine, I think. Um, but I didn't write this, so I don't really know specifically. I'm kind of taking a bit of an educated guess here. Um, so basically... 
the vow either men or women can take this vow to separate themselves to the Lord and basically in this separation their head is what's consecrated so I'm gonna guess again that because wine affects your head your brain you know alcohol affects your mind you're not supposed to consume it um, for this consecrated set apart period as this oath that you take for yourself um, and it says all their days as Nazarites um, basically not being able to eat or basically not being allowed to eat anything produced by the grapevine not the seeds not the skin not wine vinegar or other vinegar um not any grape juice or eating the actual grapes not fresh grapes not dried grapes so no grapes no vinegar probably no alcohol but i don't really know specifically um And so basically what what wine is, is basically f juice of the fermented um, grapes. Uh, and then vinegar is from wine. And so vinegar is still from that. Um, now, if I take into account the things that I've had this week, um, even just today I had Subway, I put mustard on it. I think mustard has vinegar. I put pepperoncinis. I don't know if they're pickled, but I did have pickles. Um, I don't know if pickles even count. Do pickles count? Because don't you make pickles out of putting cucumbers in, in uh, vinegar and water and other seasonings? Uh, so I think technically, um, you know, pickles might count. Pepperoncinis, I don't know if they're pickled, but... Uh, they taste like they've got like a vinegar situation going on. Mustard having vinegar in it. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not a Nazarite. I'm just going through things that would be examples in our, like something common. I mean, Subway isn't something that too many people just like actively avoid. Like, I think more people avoid, like, McDonald's and that kind of stuff. Like, Subway isn't really, like, a place that a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to eat there for health reasons. But, yeah, like, vinegar. Uh, like So, you got mustard, pickles. Um, I had, so I asked them to give me two packets uh, separate, you know, the oil vinegar separate because I didn't want to eat the whole foot long for today's lunch. So, I still have the second half of it for tomorrow's lunch and um so I didn't want a lot of liquids so I basically used the mustard from my house 
um, added my own avocado from the house and asked for on the side uh, oil and vinegar um, and so I didn't have any of those on placed on the actual sandwich they gave me two packets one of oil one of vinegar the vinegar said red wine vinegar um, or wine vinegar I don't know if it said red but it said wine vinegar or something like that red wine vinegar or something like that so you probably couldn't eat that either yesterday I had a Mediterranean salad for part of my lunch I had chicken and Mediterranean salad and there's a vinaigrette that goes on the salad I don't know exactly what it is um, so I probably wouldn't have been able to eat that and then it had two stuffed grape leaves so I split the salad in, ha in two halves like I ate half of it like let's say Friday or something and then I ate the second half of it Sunday um, and so Friday I had the stuffed grape leaf as well as the vinegar the vinaigrette on that salad and then again Sunday I had um, a, you know, a stuffed grape leaf, um, and vinaigrette on that salad. So if I were a Nazarite, I think those would have been rules broken. And I don't think I've eaten any grapes. Oh, there, there were pepperoncinis in that, um, in that as well. I don't think I've eaten any grapes, but I have had juices. Um, I don't think I had any fruit juice very recently but I've had um what was that like pomegranate it was like a pomegranate vitamin water uh, I don't think they really have fruit in them I don't know if it's really fruit if it's like real and I don't know if pomegranate would count but just going through those few things without even trying to not eat grapes or any grape related things or vinegar related things and I'm not, you know, living in the wilderness. I'm not in the middle of the desert. It's not even really way too much of my culture. Because when I think about grapes um, and vinegar, that really is, you know, there's a lot of Mid Middle Eastern culture uh, food that has those products. So I'm thinking, you know, it, it's easy to read this as like, you know, a non-Jewish American person reading this and being like, okay, like, don't eat grapes like big deal but I can kind of see right away if they do potentially throw in alcohol and if they do potentially throw in um, so other alcohol that's not wine and different types of vinegars and any type of grape related thing I've already in consumed quite a bit of it um, without even thinking about what I was consuming and it's not really even a big part of my culture um, just basically through eating a salad and a Subway sandwich, I've already had multiple rules broken. Um, and it's not even really something that, that would be too hard for me to avoid, I don't think. But when I'm thinking it through, I'm like, this might, this would be hard to avoid if it was part of my culture. Like, um, 
in a lot of cultures, you know, vinegar is like something that's cooked with often, used in foods often. Like, you know, I choose, I pick from uh, a wide array of food. Um, I eat a lot of sushi. Sushi rice has vinegar in it. I'm not sure if it's like rice vinegar or if it makes a difference if it's like a rice vinegar versus a wine vinegar. Um, these are just questions that come to my mind because I'm just like um, trying to like put myself in the shoes of a person who might choose to do this. Um, I could already see that there would be a lot of questions of thinking of what's in all of these things. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing a lot. Like, I don't drink that much alcohol-wise, but I wouldn't say that I never drink. And so, I think the last time I had any alcohol, when was my friend's birthday? It was in January. I had a little bit of champagne. It wasn't that much. But it was like a gulp or two of champagne. uh, Just as a toast. And I wasn't really into drinking that night. Um, yeah, I had one or two glasses, not one or two glasses, one or two sips. I don't think I can even handle one or two glasses of champagne right now, honestly, like my tolerance is so low, but one or two sips or gulps and yeah, so that might be considered strong drink. I don't remember when it was though. It was like mid mid January so about a month ago a little little, maybe a little less than a month ago I don't know uh it's kind of hard to keep track um but let's call it a month ago um but if I was actually close by to be hanging out with my friends on a regular basis um I'm a lot more often around wine uh alcohol of all kinds. Um, I'm actually pretty regularly around a lot of different kinds of drugs in all honesty. Um, because I know a lot of people who use a lot of different kinds of stuff. Um, and so just that part alone, you know, I don't want to get way too much off topic, but just that part alone, just looking at grapes, grape seeds, stuff like that. Like, I feel like most of the times when I've read that, I was like, who cares if you're near a near like if you're having like I can avoid grapes that's not hard you know but yeah vinegar is a hard one to avoid I would think and I could be wrong on some of this stuff I'm not certain about pepperoncinis or mustard or um pickles but I do think that they all contain some form of vinegar um unless pepperoncinis just naturally grow like that but I I thought that they were like a pickled type of a pepper let me just look this up goodness um it's gonna bother me because i don't like saying like really incorrect things um let me see um uh, let's see um yeah So it says, yeah, they're soaked in vinegar. Um, and then 
mustard and vinegar. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. I don't know why I don't trust myself on these things. Um, sorry, please bear with me. Give me one minute. One more minute. Let me just figure this out. Um, yeah, vinegar. Vinegar and mustard. Um, and then... Let's look at the pickles. I love pickles, man. Yeah, vinegar. So, jeez. So, yeah. They all contain vinegar. Um, I do believe that sushi is rice vinegar, though. They they use rice vinegar in the wine. I'm pretty sure about that. I'm not going to look it up. But um, I eat a lot of sushi, though. I mean, I ate sushi last week, like, multiple times. So, I don't know. Like, when I think of it, I'm like, man, like, it would be really hard to actually avoid, you know, certain condiments, dressings, even if you're not eating grapes or drinking wine, avoiding vinegar and different kind of seasonings and things that contain vinegar, even if it's not really too big of a part of your culture. But I do believe in a lot of Middle Eastern food, you know, foods, there's vinegar and, you know, uh, beverages, you know, wine is a big beverage, fermented or not fermented. Now, what was going on in the desert, in the wilderness during this time, I don't really know if they were growing crops. Uh, I don't really understand, like, kind of what things looked like, but they must have had some access to food because they had so many animals. Um, it seems like they were able to make breads, they were able to make flour, they had access to grain and that means that like there was grass somewhere there was um you know something that you could make flour out of and the animals were eating something i mean they had a lot of animals because it later on starts mentioning about the different types of uh um animals lambs rams um these types of animals you know they eat off of the earth you know grass and things like that and so there must have been stuff growing around them i don't know if they were growing trees and things but i mean they were they must have had some way to feed these animals because they needed them all the time for sacrifices religiously um, and just to live off of. So I would assume, you know. So when it talks about the, the hair cutting, it says no razor shall come upon the head. Um until basically their time has been completed um, 
they have to stay holy and not cut their hair. Um, they shall let the locks of the head grow long. So, I don't, I, um, I'm wondering how much Rastafarian culture comes from this. Um, I know when people think of Rastafarians, one big thing that people think about is, is cannabis, but, um, and you don't have to have, you know, locks, um, to be a Rastafarian, but I, I have heard about a lot of Rastafarians that eat vegan, you know, vegetarian, vegan, uh, really healthy, organic, um, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of health consciousness in the culture. And I don't believe that there, that there's too much of an interest in consuming alcohol. I don't really know if cannabis is like required. I don't really know. Um, I really don't know enough about that religion, but I'm curious to know if, um, any of the teachings of Haile Selassie or any of the teachings had anything to do with um, Nazarite vows, um, if any of that is in the culture, because there's nothing else that I can kind of like visibly like put an eye on that I'm like, oh, this is, uh, uh, this is something, um, you know, uh, very relevant uh, to... Um, like the current culture that I live in, like I'm trying to look around. I don't know if I've seen Nazarites and if I have, I don't, I don't think I knew that they were. Um, I've seen Hasidic people and, um, Chabad people, you know, and people with the, with the payas, with the, with the side curls. I've seen the Jews that wear those, um, I've also seen, you know, the kind of, uh, Jewish people that are kind of into kind of like, uh, almost like a, a reggae culture kind of vibe. Um, uh, even before Modest Yahoo came out with his, uh, most famous album that got released when he was still a religious Jew. Even before he came out with that album, I recall him being, um, uh, I recall him being basically, um, hmm, like, he was talking a bit about reggae culture and things like that too, and he wasn't the only one that I kind of noticed you know, there's this other group, um, Shiva, they're very kind of like, they've got this like feel to them. Uh, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to go like way off on a tangent, but I'm trying to think about Jewish and other types of kind of like visible Nazarite culture. I, I, wouldn't say that I 
personally know anyone who's a Nazarite or who ever has taken that vow, but I do know quite a few people I've come across that kind of have this love for reggae culture, this, uh, that do have locks. Um, I've known some Jewish people with locks or some people who are non-black and non-Rastafarian with locks, um, and, or with long hair. I mean, it, it, it's something that I think is like personal. People aren't really going to be walking around talking about what they're doing, but, um, I guess, and maybe it's ignorant of me to be like, why would somebody take an oath? I mean, like, um, I think, you know, I do actually understand that. And when I think back, I'm like, why did I even say that? But, um, just to me, this specific one doesn't seem like, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't fully get it and I'm not saying people shouldn't do it or that there's anything wrong with it you know who am I you know I just I don't I don't personally understand fully and that's on me that's not you know I'm not knocking the culture of it or anything I'm just trying to understand um because I've taken oaths before of I'm not going to say for what, but I have, and I did it because, not because I thought it would be easy, I actually knew it would be difficult, but the reason why I did it, part of it was to challenge myself, um, there were definitely other kind of like spirituality reasons involved and other types of stuff, like it wasn't really like, oh, I think I'm going to go to hell if I don't do this, it had nothing to do with that, but it was more like, you know... I want to do this thing. I don't know if it was, if I would call it like an act of worship. I can see that people would do that as acts of worship. I don't know if I've done it for that reason before. Maybe, maybe I have, maybe it was like a form of it, but it wasn't like, actively done through like prayer or like trying to like do this as like a group or anything I mean even if you consider things like baptism you know um in the church when you're baptized I mean I was raised in a church where you get baptized at an older age I think you had to be 12 or like if you were under 12 you could kind of maybe get baptized but um you usually needed more permission like, you couldn't be, like, six years old or something, necessarily. Um, they didn't do children baptisms like that. I've never seen anybody request it or anybody do it, but I know a lot of churches, uh, different types of churches, do baby baptisms, uh, different types. Baptism is, like, there's a whole array of different types of baptism things, but that is a form of a commitment. I don't know if it's an oath. It's a form of a commitment that a person would take to do that so I don't I don't really know um if somebody would count that because it's not like a temporary thing it's not like when you're when you decide that you're not doing this anymore then you can go back to doing these other things like 
in Christianity, when you're baptized, you're not, like, you don't, like, go back on it and say, like, oh, like, I was baptized a year ago, and now it's been a year, so I'm gonna go back to, um, another life, you know, I'm no longer gonna go to church or read the Bible or participate in Christian worship activities, I'm gonna go and just never do that anymore, um, I don't think that's how baptism works, usually it's like a lifelong commitment, or expected to be a lifelong commitment, even if you convert or, you know, no longer have the belief anymore, so, I don't really know, um, I usually get more questions than answers, so I don't, I don't really know, um, So yeah, we've covered two of the three major points, um, and then basically it talks about um, <clears throat> during the time period when they're separated, uh, and in this consecrated time period, um, they should not go near a corpse. Now, I knew that part. The part that I didn't know, when they say near, I didn't understand proximity. So I don't understand the distance. Like, for example, with the Rona, we have six feet of distance. It's kind of like an acceptable space between you and the next customer in line or something. You know, there's like a number, but I don't know what near means. Um, and the part that surprised me the most out of all of this, which is kind of why I started asking more, like, why would somebody want to do this? It basically says that, um, if your father or mother, brother or sister die, um, you still can't go near those deceased people. Um, I don't know if that means graveyards, you know, funerals. I don't know. Like, I'm, I, these are questions that are just suddenly coming to my head um, that I don't really know answers to. And so, who, who is it? Um, I mean, how much of a distance and what type of, you know, because I feel like with the grapes, they broke that down in a way where it's like, okay, I can understand that. With the shaving your head and, and like basically saying don't cut your hair, I mean, there's not that much extra description that a person needs to give about not cutting your hair. And then, um,. Um, and yeah, I don't know how long they're Nazarites for. And so that, you know, there aren't a lot of answers in that, but it's very interesting to read and look at. Now, I'm not reading this word for word. Um, you can have your own Bible and read it word for word. Um, I'm kind of skimming through it and just like I read through it previously and I'm going back to the parts that I read that seemed like they were, 
particularly interesting, but um, there might be bits and pieces that I'm missing as well. Um, maybe because they didn't stick out particularly to me. And so if it doesn't stick out to me, I don't know, like, you know, if I'm not reading it word for word and I'm paraphrasing or not even paraphrasing, I'm just kind of like looking at the different sections. Um, there's definitely stuff that I'm skipping. And so, you know, I would, I would say if this topic is of interest, um, read it yourself or even go on Bible Gateway and listen to it. It's probably just a couple minutes. It's, it's It can't be that long of a passage. It's 21 verses. It's not that long. It didn't take me that long to read it. And I read really slowly. And I don't even know this uh, section very, very well. And so, um, yeah. So basically, it goes more into detail about the the corpse-related things. And explains what you have to do if... Um, someone suddenly dies nearby. So say if you weren't expecting it, I don't know, I don't want to get morbid about it, but say, I mean, could you not go in a hospital? I mean, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting very, um, curious about this because if you think about all the places where somebody could die or could potentially die, um, and I don't know what that proximity is supposed to be either with the near, are you still near? If you're, if there's like a wall between you, is that near? Um, I don't know, but, um, cause they're saying, say if someone nearby suddenly dies, like what if I went to visit a friend in the hospital and someone in the hospital in the next room unfortunately doesn't make it you know what is that you know so I don't know Mm, I don't know I don't know I'm I'm uh curious I'm curious I don't know if I'll ever find these answers I don't know if I'm even gonna go and look them all up but yeah if somebody near dies um, then basically that means that the Nazarite is considered defiled that because the head is defiled, basically, uh, instead of consecrated, the head is now defiled. Um, and then that results in shaving the head on the seventh day. And then we go into all of these um, um, offerings, uh, that have to happen when the rules get broken. And so, so there's, but I don't know if, I don't know what happens if you break the rule about the grapes or the already shaving your head, but, um, So basically, the offering, if you've been defiled in that way, would be to bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest. And then also, the priest is going to make the offering for atonement 
because uh, it's considered an incurred guilt by reason of the corpse. So just the fact that someone else died near you makes you guilty. Um, now this is a type of, if you want to call it sin, I don't know any other word for it, but this is a type of sin that I haven't heard of in the Bible or maybe never paid attention to because usually sins are you're doing something. You are the one doing it. You're doing it yourself. You know, all the stuff, if you're not, you know, worshiping God or if you're you know, committing adultery, or if you're doing any of those things on the list of even just the Ten Commandments are all things that I potentially, myself, individually can do. Um, if a corpse is near me, I don't see how that is my uh, doing, even if I knew, you know, it's like I didn't kill them. And how long, you know, how long can you not be, how long does a person have to be dead? I don't really like talking about death, but how long does a person have to be a corpse before um, you can no longer go near? Um, the reason why I ask that is because, you know, there are burial sites all around, all over the earth and like. I guess if you know what the sites are, you're accountable. But I don't know if it means like graveyards, funeral homes, mortuaries. Like I have a friend who lives like on the other side of a wall from from a mortuary. So would a Nazarite not be allowed to live there? Is that considered near a corpse? I don't know. Um And then they have to sanctify themselves, their head basically, and then uh, bring a lamb, a year old, as a guilt offering. Uh, I don't understand the part that says the former time shall be void because the consecrated head was defiled. So, oh, so I guess it's like you have to bring another offering after you've been consecrated so there's the concept there's the um when you're defiled you have to give the offering and then after you're consecrated again into the nazarite vow the nazarite vow then you have to again bring an offering and um when they complete their consecration basically they have to offer a lot of stuff. I looked at it, like I read this, and I was like, ah, oh, that doesn't seem like too bad, you know. And then I was like, I read it again, and I was like, that's actually a lot. So you're done. You're finished with this consecration period, and you're finished. And so what you have to do is bring more things, uh as a gift you have to offer offer a gift to the lord so this is what a person would offer once they're done with their nazarite vow one male yam, yam one male lamb a year old 
um, one ewe lamb a year old, one ram. All of these can't have any blemishes. And they're relatively young, but if you think about it, they had to be raised. It's not like it's a newborn or an older one. Like, it has to be a year. And so there must be animals that, I mean, I'm just speculating here, but there must have been animals that people were just raising to be a year old or that you could buy at like certain time periods in their life because a lot of offerings had to be like a certain time period or a certain, like a, a certain age or a certain amount. Um... And, yeah, there's more, though, that comes with this, that comes in this gift. Um, a basket of unleavened bread. So I don't know how much a basket is. Um, I've seen, like, a box of matzahs, and there, that's a lot. So I don't know how much a basket would be, um six boxes I don't know um and cakes of choice flour mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil um uh a grain offering and a drink offering I don't know what the drink offering is um Let me see. Uh, and so the priests are the ones in charge of that whole process. And then the Nazarites can shave their heads. Um, the hair gets burned in a fire. Under the sacrifice of well-being. Because there's other sacrifices. There's a sin offering and the... Uh, guilt offering and all this other kind of stuff so there's a specific sacrifice under which the hair has to be burned um and oh man there's like so much more like basically um the shoulder of the ram when it's boiled one unleavened cake out of the basket one unleavened wafer and she'll put them in the palms of the Nazarite after they've shaved their consecrated and shaved the consecrated head and basically do an elevation offering that's what the priests are going to do um they're a holy portion for the priest uh the breast and the thigh get elevated um, and then after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Um, I don't know. I, that just sounds like a lot to me. Like, I'm wondering why the Nazarites... Because the Nazarites aren't priests. These are just people 
anyone from the Israelite community who decides they want to take on this vow. And it doesn't really say why people would do it or what they're doing or where they're at. Um, I don't know when the first time is that Nazarites are mentioned, but they're definitely mentioned here and I don't understand it. Um, like, I'm not trying to even be difficult because I can try and be difficult sometimes. I'm not even trying to be difficult. Um, uh, so I don't really understand kind of like where it's coming from. It just seems kind of like random to me, like just because I don't understand it. Like it's like there's all these laws, there's all these rules, there's all this stuff, there's the census and then, you know, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, if you want to become a Nazarite, this is what you need to do. And if something gets messed up in the process, this is what you do. And when you're done with the process, this is how you end it. And you're done with that vow. But why would a person take the vow? Like, why would not not even in a mean way, but like, why would the person do it? Like the Levites, you're born into that priesthood. Um, you know, there's all these different groups of people that were mentioned, you know, the co, the Kohathites, all these types of things like you're born into into this. Um, um, there's like ancestral houses, clans, different types of groups of people, but why are the Nazarites a thing? Like, where did that come from? I mean, and right before that, they start talking about unclean persons how to do like how to deal with like confession and that kind of thing and like you when you've wronged someone and uh concerning unfaithful an unfaithful wife then all of a sudden it goes into the Nazarites and so I just I mean it says that the people voluntarily would take a vow and I understand that they would voluntarily do that. Um, I mean, if Samson was a Nazarite, I mean, I don't know. Um, uh, And I don't know. I mean, I understand that people take oaths and things and vows, but I just don't, I just, this one is just completely, um, not something that I'm too familiar with. Um, it's very interesting I wonder what it would look like nowadays when you don't have the sacrificing, uh, you know, people don't do all this like ram and at least here in LA, we're not sacrificing a lot of animals like that. Um, not just like at some temple that's like, at least not something that's like publicly known. 
I mean, I know in Middle Eastern culture, people do butcher animals. You know, I'm from an African culture where people butcher goats and things for like weddings and, you know, different types of ceremonies. Uh, so it's not like it never happens in the U.S. It, I don't know if there's even laws against it or what. I think you're allowed to kill your own meat and do with it what you're going to do. But it's like, I don't really know. I really just don't know. But I've never known any sacrificing type of things that happen around me, um, to my knowledge. Um... But yeah, I'm I'm curious to know more about Nazarites. Um, I'm curious to look into the Talmud and see what it says. Maybe I'll get some more clarity on some of the things there because um, this, as it is, just like thrown in the middle of my, you know, um, interests. You know, um, it's not a very clear cut, um, uh, it's not very clear cut. So, um, we'll talk more about what the actual Talmud says, uh, to, as of today, the Talmud, uh, tractate, the portion is like, if you look at eight minute doff, um, the one that Ellie, Rabbi Ellie Stefanski does, um, today the track date is 21. Um, so it says bait, Aleph, bait, but I think it's 21 basically. Um, and as of this point, I haven't even read one from part one. And so I still have a lot to learn. So I'm hoping I'll learn a lot and it should be fun. Um, this is me procrastinating from the other plans I made for my day, <laughs> um, cause I would just rather do this. Um, but yeah, it, I got this, uh, free Talmud in the mail. Um, I ordered it from Ellie Stefanski's, Rabbi Ellie Stefanski's, um, site. It's free. It came from, shipped from New York, so it didn't take that long to get to me. Um, and it's really cool. I got the English one. So I had previously ordered a Talmud, and I wanted another one because I wanted to study this tractate. But I was like, man, you know, I like to read stuff and have, like, something physical to hold. And the, you know, I was tempted. I was tempted to lie. And, like, there's a, um... There's a, um, you know, you fill out the form and I was, it asks you, you know, have you ever had a Talmud from them before? And I was tempted to be like, no, cause I've got a different email address, different, you know, address. Like my name is the same, but it's like, I don't think my name is that memorable. Maybe it is because I'm not Jewish and maybe it stuck out more than maybe some other names might, but, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I was happy that they sent it to me, um, and so I like studying along with that, um, the portion that they cover every day, um, I don't study it every day, I don't listen to it every day, um, 
but when I'm in the mood to just totally geek out on something that I find interesting, uh, like I, I didn't even know that the Talmud had a whole book on Nazarites. Um, that's really cool because it doesn't seem like the Bible has a whole lot to say. Um, and it's actually a, a very interesting kind of a topic. Um, especially cause you see it a lot. Um, well not a lot in the Bible, but like it's, it's got some weight to it. Like you hear about it as a kid, even when you learn about Bible stories and I think that's how I knew about Samson being a Nazarite. It's like that kind of stuff is like, it's the type of stuff that I'm like, is that right? Is that accurate? Is that what it said? Like I had to go back and like look it up and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. So it did say that he was. Um, and so I don't really understand. Um, too much about it, but. I'm still learning. Uh, I'm going to do a lot to keep learning. And I'm enjoying myself. Um, uh, this is the type of stuff that I really like doing with my free time. So, um, yeah, with that, I'm going to actually go read some other stuff and put this down for now. But uh, with that, thanks for listening.